Hey, true crime fans, it's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo, back again with another episode of True Crime Tuesday. Now, we live in the digital age, constantly scrolling, swiping, watching, reading. Our mobile devices are rarely out of our sight, and we live our lives connected to the World Wide Web. While many of us use computers for work and entertainment, there are those that use them with ill intent, threatening the safety, security, and peace of mind of others. This week's True Crime Tuesday story is one of those stories. The year was 1989, and the United States, along with the rest of the world at large, is in the middle of a massive AIDS epidemic. At the time, very little was known about the autoimmune disease, and there weren't many answers. That year, an AIDS conference was held by the World Health Organization in Stockholm, Sweden. And following the conference, in December of 1989, Nearly 20,000 floppy disks were mailed to attendees in 90 different countries outside the United States. The diskettes were labeled AIDS information, introductory diskette, and the World Health Organization members were eager to access the information to help shed some light on the growing issue. Now, when the recipients put the disk into their computer, they were met with a questionnaire that would hopefully determine patients' risk of contracting AIDS. However, Instead of just simply containing research and other educational material, the diskette also contained a Trojan computer virus. And the Trojan virus, which is named after the Trojan horse that led to the fall of the city of Troy, by definition, is any type of malware that disguises itself and misleads users to its true intent. And in this case, once the user put the floppy disk into their computer, the virus would secretly install itself on their machine and then lie in wait until the PC had been rebooted 90 times. The Trojan would then hide, encrypt, and lock files on the C drive, effectively rendering the PC useless. Unless, in this instance, the user paid a $189 licensing fee, as they called it, in exchange for the digital antidote. Victims were then instructed to mail their payment to a P.O. box in Panama, payable to an organization called the PC Cyborg Corporation. Luckily, once the virus was discovered, it was fairly easy to remedy since it was fairly primitive, and a series of free decryption tools were released to the public to help victims of the ransomware and allow them to regain access to their files. Now, extortion wasn't a new crime by any means, but extorting people on a digital platform was. And by 1989, there weren't any laws governing cybercrimes. Now, it's estimated that nearly 20,000 disks were sent to attendees from the World Health Organization's AIDS conference who were scattered all across the globe. Some users were relatively unaffected by the virus. However, there were many others who refused to pay the nearly $200 ransom, which cost them their life's work, including one AIDS organization in Italy that lost nearly 10 years of research. And Dr. Pop's involvement was eventually discovered by an antivirus company in Great Britain, after police traced the P.O. box in Panama to Dr. Joseph Pop, and Scotland Yard soon granted his arrest warrant. Now, two weeks after mailing the virus, Dr. Pop began to unravel. He was on a return trip from another AIDS conference in Nairobi, where the AIDS Trojan was the topic of everyone's conversation, since many of them had attended the previous summit in Sweden before the attack occurred. And sources say that he attracted the attention of authorities at an airport in Amsterdam after exhibiting some strange behavior, going so far as to writing, Dr. Pop has been poisoned on the suitcase of another passenger. This prompted airline authorities to search his bag when they found a seal bearing the name PC Cyborg Corporation. 
the same corporation that was requesting payment for the AIDS Trojan decryption software. The FBI received information about Pop's connection to the PC Cyborg Corporation and eventually arrested Pop at his parents' home in Ohio, extraditing him to Great Britain, where he faced 11 charges of blackmail tied to the AIDS Trojan virus. However, a British judge determined Dr. Pop was mentally unfit to stand trial in the UK, so he was returned to the US. While back stateside, Pop's behavior became even more strange. He started wearing condoms on his nose, a cardboard box on his head, and putting curlers in his beard in an effort to, quote, ward off the threat of radiation. Pop told authorities that he intended to use the ransom money to donate to AIDS research, possibly another strange figment of Dr. Pop's delusions. Now, Pop's odd behavior continued through November of 1991, when a judge in the U.S. also deemed him mentally unfit to stand trial for his cybercrime, and Joseph Pop was off the hook, scot-free. And although no trial ever took place, evidence from Pop's digital diary suggested he'd been planning the attack for over a year and a half. They also discovered plans for Pop to distribute as many as 2 million discs to recipients all across the globe. And after being released, Dr. Pop resumed his scientific studies, starting with a 14-year stint studying baboons in East Africa. He even wrote a book called Popular Evolution, which contained a number of very unpopular suggestions as it related to improving reproductive success, including fewer working women, less income, less education, lowering the age for marriage, more rural living, and no sexual education in an effort to raise the teenage birth rate. So, arguably, the most positive thing Pop did manage to do was to create the Joseph L. Pop Jr. Butterfly Conservatory in Oneonta, New York, which is a 3,000-square-foot butterfly sanctuary that's still in operation to this day. Dr. Joseph Pop later died in Oneonta, New York in 2007, leaving behind a legacy littered with questions and controversy. Security news website CS Online refers to Dr. Pop as the inventor of ransomware, and to this day, no one really knows why he engaged in such a large-scale attack on the world health community. Did Dr. Pop truly believe that he was going to donate the ransom money to AIDS research? Was a third party involved that forced Dr. Pop into this crime? Or was it due to being glanced over for a job with the World Health Organization? The world may never know. And as for what happened to the nearly 20,000 floppy disks that were distributed, one of the few left in the world hangs in the wall of a living room of Eddie Willems, one of the first victims of the AIDS Trojan in December of 1989. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday story, episode number 86, the story of Dr. Joseph Pop and the world's first ransomware attack. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.